I remember I would hear people be like, oh, it's all about worthiness. I was like, I feel like I'm worthy for it. But the way that it shows up is you don't think I'm unworthy of my dharma. You think I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. Someone else is doing it. I'm too late. I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm too that. That's actually how it all shows up. Sahara Rose experienced plenty of false starts and moments of self-doubt on her way to becoming an Ayurvedic expert, best-selling author, and modern master of ancient wisdom. On her journey toward discovering her own dharma, she learned that feelings of unworthiness can have many voices, but overcoming all the reasons not to do something is crucial in fulfilling your life's purpose. From Yoga Journal, I'm Lindsay Tucker, and this is The Yoga Show. In Ayurveda, yoga's sister science of holistic health, The doshas are the three energy types that govern the functioning of the mind and body. They are vata, pitta, and kapha, and everyone is born with their own unique combination of these energies, which are based on the five elements. Vata is the light, quick-moving energy of air and space. Pitta is that hot, fiery energy of transformation, and kapha is a grounded earth energy. Not only does keeping the doshas balanced translate into better mental and physical health, but understanding them and how they relate to your own personal makeup can help you navigate your dharma and fulfill your life's purpose. Sahara Rose writes about this in her new book, Discover Your Dharma, A Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. It's a friendly field guide for getting shit done with tons of tips from Ayurveda. Sahara was on our January 2020 cover. She was the first guest we ever had on our show and we're delighted to welcome her back as our very first guest of 2021. Hi, Sahara. Hi, Lindsay. Great to see you. You too. Thank you so much for joining us on the show again. Yes. I think you are our first repeat guest, which is exciting. Yeah. And I think it was a, I was the first guest on the podcast. Yes, too. you were. I'm not letting go of that throne. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a very big moment. And so your book, Discover Your Dharma, has just come out. Yes, it just dropped yesterday. Yeah. How's that been? Tell us all the feels. You know, it it feels like ordinary in this weird way. Like, I feel like sometimes we think, oh, like once I achieve my dreams and like everything is going to be perfect. And, you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful for all of, you know, writing a book as, as you know yourself and writing anything, it really is, it's a sacrifice in many ways. Like it's a sacrifice for, you know, you, I spent two years on this project. So it's like all of the times that I was like on weekends, just working on it late at night, like all of my thoughts, like just all of the time, it, it really makes it so worth it to hear other people having these aha moments or the best for me has been hearing people say, I haven't been able to get into a book in a really long time. And I am just like digesting this because I know that feeling. And for me too, it's hard to find a book that I like really resonate with. I feel like, mm-hmm. especially with spirituality, yogic sciences, all of this stuff, it could be very dense or it could be like a book that has nothing to do with that and really like light and fluffy. And, um, uh, the feedback I'm getting is it's like conversational and feels like it's a girlfriend, like talking to you and, has elements of truth and, you know, frameworks and new things that you're learning about too. So I'm so grateful for that. And it's like life goes on. It's like, okay. And now, you know, continuing on with my own dharmic journey. Yeah. No, I I love what you said. I think it is the perfect mix where it's accessible. You know, you don't feel like you're getting like just hit over the head with um, all of this, um, like explanations and 
you know, you're never talking down to the reader. You're just very conversational and you have all of these like easy entry points. And so it's very digestible and fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. In the book, you talk about the stages of the Dharmic journey. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that here. What are the stages and how do we recognize them and where we are and maybe where we have to go next? Yeah, so I came up with these stages because I was realizing that a lot of people felt like, okay, I just need to find my dharma. And it's like either like you're not doing your dharma or you like totally are. And I realized there's so many nuances and so many stages that I have been on you know, the hundreds of people that I've interviewed for the podcast or have worked with in my programs, et cetera. So I kind of boiled them down into these five stages, which are by no means conclusive or no means does everyone go through them in this order, but they're kind of the the trends that I saw along the different stories. So the first stage is to just have a realization that something needs to shift. I call this stage self-awareness. So you see the trajectory that your life is going on and you don't like it. You know, something needs to give. So maybe you don't know exactly what is going to change or where you're going to head, but you know that you need to mix things up a bit for it to be more in alignment with who you are. Now, the next stage that naturally unfolds after that is self-improvement. How can I be my best self? How can I, you know, practice yoga, exercise, meditation, self-help books, personal development, motivational speakers, all of these really fall under that category. So it's really about how do I optimize myself in every which way? And this is a very natural stage and important stage to happen for my own journey. It was my physical health and Ayurveda. And that was really the thing that helped me get, you know, better digestion, hormonal health, anxiety, insomnia, Mm -hmm. these things that I was battling with. And it's important because, you know, we are bought, we have bodies and we have minds and it's important to not skip over those. Sometimes we want to like be in the 5d and not in the 3d yet. So it's important to bring that into balance. But what naturally happens when you dive into this self-improvement space is you realize that you're not just your body and your mind. You're a soul Mm -hmm. and that nothing was ever really wrong with you. It's just that you are a soul who you don't totally know yet. So Mm -hmm. your focus shifts from self-improvement to self-inquiry. Who am I? Now, question. Do you find that people can get stuck in that phase for like a very long time? I mean, some people for the rest of their lives, some people (laughs) never even get to stage one, you know? So (laughs) it's not like we're all going to go through this journey. It's a, it's a, it's a choice, you know, we all have free will. So I do, I mean, most of the personal development space out there is very much in the stage two. It's how do I hack my day, hack my morning routine, have more brain power. And, And these are all really important things. But what happens is when we don't, when we don't move past that, it can be like, I'm this broken being Mm -hmm. and I need to get better. And what naturally happens and it's, you know, different kind of rock bottoms. I think people hit with that, but sometimes it's like exercise addiction, you know, uh, self-improvement addiction. We can get too obsessed with these things and that's what takes us beyond them and realizing that, you know, it's not about me you know, making myself the best at everything because you're going to get there and, and still feel a void within yourself if you're not going deeper. So, you know, I think this year with 2020 naturally brought a lot of people to this next stage, the step three of wanting to know about myself of, I am not mm-hmm. broken. Nothing is wrong with me. I just don't know everything about myself quite yet. I am a drop of the ocean and there's so much more for me to dive into. So that naturally takes us into 
meditation for deeper reasons, you know, not so I can just like have more brain power to get more things done, but rather to sit into that void, to ponder my existence. It might take us into astrology, wanting to get to know ourselves like that, human design, um, therapy, hypnosis, so many different tools and modalities to really dive deep. And a lot of people call this, this stage, the spiritual awakening. Now, for some people, it can really feel like this awakening that the veils have been lifted and things are so intense and they don't know how they're going to live in this world around them. And for other people, it's more gradual. But what often happens in the stage three is loneliness because you are suddenly mm -hmm. seeing the world in this whole new way that other people around you may not be. So it can really feel like, how am I going to survive in this world? Like everything is crazy out there. And it could really feel me against the world of those people out there are crazy and I don't know, I need to like run away. So there can be a little bit of maybe anger and frustration with the world around you, which is totally normal mm -hmm. and fine. I remember in my own, in my own stage three, I would write these poems. I'm like, we're in a box. The cars are a box. The cubicles are a box. Our minds are a box. When will we get out of the box? And like, that was me expressing it. Like, I remember my mom's like, can we go to the mall? I'm like, no, I will not go to the mall. Like, you know, because you're like realizing all of these things that you used to do all the time and not think about it may not have been in your like highest, highest capacity. So we start to find the tools that work for us in this stage three. We realize I can't, I can't live in the state of, you know, constant agony with the world around me. So we find our tools, we find our practices, we find our teachers, we find our methods. Maybe it is breath work for someone or yoga nidra or whatever else it is for you. And you go deeper and then you find yourself not feeling me against the world, but rather a part of the world. It becomes more integrated. And this is really stage four of you're, you're able to see that the world for sure has many flaws and you're a human on this planet. So that means you are a part of this too. So you have your tools and practices so you can remain in balance and are naturally wanting to share maybe the things that you've learned along the way. So in stage four, you're really deepening. Maybe you're going into law of attraction or Vedic spirituality or, you know, or whatever else it is. It could be vegan cooking or um, 1960s architecture, like whatever those things are for you that are really interesting, but you're deepening your understanding. And you're really finding yourself on a path, you know, you're, you're kind of putting together pieces of the puzzle of I'm really into these types of things or, you know, showing up in this way. And what naturally happens in the stage four is you cultivate more courage. You know, mm -hmm. you start to realize it's not just about me regurgitating things that I've already learned, but I have my own unique way of seeing the world too. Mm -hmm. So you begin to share that. Maybe it's with your family and then your friends, and then maybe it is on social media or you write an article or you, you know, share your recipe or your architecture or whatever else it is related to your unique dharma. And then we get feedback from people and we see it's helpful and we refine and then we create more of our unique way of expressing, which naturally brings us into stage five. Stage five being Dharma embodiment. And Dharma embodiment is really about us expressing our uniqueness through our our perspective, our frequency, our energetic signature. So really the shift happens in stage four to five where it's no longer, I learned this and this and that, and let me tell it to you. It's here's my unique way of, of seeing these things and here's how I can be of service. So the service part is really essential to the stage because stage five, you shift from me to we. 
So the stages before it, they need to be about me. Who am I? What am I interested? How do I practice self-care? How do I practice boundaries? How do I coexist in this world? But when you find or more so remember your dharma, you realize it is not about you. It is about you being of service to humanity. So the things that may have nurtured you or nourished you before switch. It's no longer, oh my God, today was so crazy. So I need to take my Epsom salt bath because I'm so stressed out by today. You're not probably going to get to that point as much because you are being fueled by what it is that you are doing. Like for example, sometimes at the end of a long, busy day, I want to hop on IG live and share because that Mm -hmm. actually gives me more energy than a bubble bath. And that's how you really know that that thing is in alignment with your Dharma. It's fueling you. It's giving you more energy and you're essentially tapping into this limitless source of energy, this cosmic, you know, layer that we all have access to, which is you feeling your flow, you feeling like essentially this energy is channeling through me. It's not coming from me. And that's really when that shift of the Dharma of the Dharma happens is you realize that you are here to be of service, a channel to allow the expression to move through you. So you still continue to practice self-care and have boundaries. And you're going to have the times that you may go back to stage three or four, et cetera, but you have felt that frequency of what living in your Dharma looks like feels like the textures of it. So then when things are off, you're able to feel, Hey, I remember the flow I was feeling when I was doing this or the synchronicities or the experience. So then you can make the pivots to bring you back into that Dharma embodiment. And every single person has access to living their Dharma. And in fact, it is their birthright and their norm. Like we were all meant to live our Dharma. We were all meant to allow our highest form of joy to be our highest form of service. It's just that we're in a society that most people around us are not doing so. So we think it's impossible, but to live a life that you genuinely enjoy what you are doing, that you feel like you are expressing your gifts on a daily basis and living your fullest expression is every single person's birthright. Mm -hmm. And do you think that Ayurveda was your first dharma or first recognized dharma? Absolutely. I mean, when I was a child, I just knew I am here to help people. And we talked about this in the article. So I think greater than just Ayurveda, it's, you know, here to be of service. And, you know, the ways that I wanted to help people, I knew were on a very global scale. But for me, I, the only things I had seen doing that were, you know, human rights lawyers or political activists, et cetera, which is why my journey brought me there. But that Dharma was inside me that I was here to share in these global ways. And also I was very spiritual. I was able to feel energy, et cetera. So I didn't know the tools, the modalities. And then Ayurveda really became that first thing that I was able to like find this language that really resonated with me that I wanted to express and share with others. And it really also was that thing, especially writing my first book on Ayurveda and the many obstacles that I faced in doing so that let me go on that journey of the doubts, the fears, the confusion, the blocks, the not enoughness to allow me to see what is really holding most people back from living their Dharma and Mm -hmm. to go on that journey of then remembering again, letting go of the conditioning. So I can really go back to who I was as a child and express in just wanting to be of service. Yeah. So what are some of the main things that are holding people back? Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I pulled, you know, 
I think 2,000 people on, on the main things that are holding them back from their dharma. And when I was reading that list, I was like, oh, this is these <laughs> are the exact same things that I faced. So the number one was confusion. I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. I don't know what to focus on. And I'm scared that I'm going to choose the wrong thing and end up in the wrong place. You know, I feel like my ship might sail and then I'm going to end up in this wrong place and regret it. So they feel paralyzed of, I'm not going to make any decisions or take any action now because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Or I'm, I'm confused where to put my energy. If someone told me what to do, I would do it. I remember I would literally ask strangers like, so do you think I know, you know what my purpose is? Like maybe <laughs> they knew instead of me. So that is the the number one thing I see. Number two is not enoughness. Now that not enoughness is, you know, I remember I would hear people be like, oh, it's all about worthiness. I was like, I feel like I'm worthy for it. But the way that it shows up is you don't think I'm unworthy of my dharma. You think I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. Someone else is doing it. I'm too late. I'm too fat. I'm too this. I'm too that. That's actually how it all shows up. So when you go deeper into, okay, well, underneath the confusion, what's there, it's this feeling of not enoughness in whatever mm-hmm. it is for you. Now, under that not enoughness oftentimes is, yeah, like a feeling like there's nothing special about me. And I think a lot of people feel like, okay, I can recognize that Justin Bieber has a Dharma or Oprah has a Dharma, but I don't think I'm one of those people. And I remember thinking too, like, yeah, maybe it's just special people who have like this big purpose, but I'm just not one of the, I'm just one of the normal people. So I think it's this separation that we have. And, you know, a reframe for that is if you can trust that other people have a Dharma and you are the only one who doesn't, then wouldn't that make you the most special of all? Like if you were the one person who like God was just like, oh yeah, I'm just not going to give her any purpose. Like if you're here, if you're even questioning, if you have a purpose, like you are, you are really like going beyond where most people go. So it's to really ask what, and I have different frameworks, but what is exciting for me right now? And it doesn't have to be like, I think sometimes people think, well, I'm not good at anything. And I think Mm. people assume that you must be really good at something. You must have this like crazy gift, like an amazing voice or ability to play basketball. And then, you know, you have a purpose, but I share in the book, there are four types of, you know, ways to get to your dharma. And one of the ways are people having a gift, but another one is you had a breakdown of some sort and that led to your breakthrough. So it could be your divorce. It could be your eating disorder. It could be your addiction. These are all things that if you were able to overcome that, there are other people who are going through this experience right now that you have the first row seats of what it looks like, what's going through someone's brain. You Sometimes people actually would rather get support from someone who's gone through exactly their issues than let's say the most educated person on it. I remember when mm-hmm. I was start sharing my Ayurveda, you know, my family's very like, you got to get, you know, get, become a doctor and like do the traditional thing. And I was like, you know, I wasn't sure if I could share or not because I wasn't a doctor, but I knew there were so many girls out there like me who weren't getting their periods, who Mm -hmm. had really bad digestive issues. And I was able to overcome that myself. So when I started to share that and they were like, wow, you're my age and you had the exact same problem I did. And here you are now that like, yes, there's no, um, there's no replacement for a doctor, et cetera. And they're really needed. But sometimes we feel like we need to be like the PhD expert in things and it's our Mm -hmm. own experience. And then the third and fourth ways are, 
you had an obstacle that you've overcome. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it is a breakdown. It could just be you moved a lot as a kid. So every single year you had to make new friends at school and you've learned how to make friends really quickly. So that's an obstacle you've overcome that you can now help others with. Or an example I share in the book is this girl had a really bad social anxiety and she couldn't read facial characteristics. So mm-hmm. She wasn't able to tell if someone was like excited or nervous or confused. So she started to make these flashcards for herself. And then she started to make these like, okay, if you're at a party, like go to the snack table and then stand on the right side, like all of these things to help her navigate her social anxiety. So she started to share it with her friends and like, this is so good. Can you put on a blog? So we have access to it. So then she put it on her blog and then within a year that blog blew up and then eventually Mm -hmm. she, she wrote a book. So it wasn't a breakdown moment, but it was just something that she's overcome that other people are moving through that she really stepped into her dharma to be of service in that way. And then the fourth thing is I get a lot of questions from people saying, well, I don't have a life-defining moment or my life has been normal or yeah, nothing big has happened to me. So I don't, I don't think I have a dharma. But sometimes it could be an obstacle that you have helped others overcome or want to help others overcome. So for example, having a parent with cancer, you know, that Mm -hmm. might make you very interested in studying cancer research, alternative therapy, um, nutrition for cancer, et cetera, that even though you didn't go through it because someone you loved has gone through it, you are so passionate about studying it that you naturally want to share it. Or maybe it is the environment, you know, maybe you firsthand have access to clean water, but you want to help others who don't. So I think all of us, our, our pathways are really unique. And I wanted to share these different ways because I feel like our society so celebrates like the person who like was broke and then they turned it around and made Uber and like lived in their van the whole time. And now they're a multi-billionaire. And it's like, it doesn't always look like that. It can, but sometimes it's just, Hey, I didn't know how to dress myself for my pear-shaped body. And I learned how to do that. And like that can help empower other women love their bodies or, you know, like, and there's different archetypes within that. But, um, one I love to share is Spanx, you know, Sarah Blakely, she, the, the problem, the obstacle was women not feeling comfortable in dresses. She created Spanx and now look where it is. And now her Dharma is serving her to inspire, not just in Spanx, but what is possible, a female entrepreneur, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's so many layers to our Dharma. It's not really just the problem solution. And like, here's my Dharma in this like packaged corner. Your Dharma doesn't really live in a vacuum, but it's also the going through that journey, like me going through that journey of health issues, learning about Ayurveda, writing the book, the limiting beliefs, that journey in itself guided me to the next stage of my Dharma, which was sharing it. So oftentimes it's the obstacles that we move through along the way that become the next layer of our Dharma. Yeah. The yoga show will return in a moment after these messages. So let's talk about what your dharma is not, because you wrote that in Discover Your Dharma that dharma is not about monetizing every one of your hobbies. And I think that's such an important reminder in our society, which is so drenched in capitalist ideology. And it's like, like you were saying, we're celebrating the person who created Uber and became a millionaire. But like, what about the person who just makes amazing paintings on the side of the road? 
Yeah, I think that this block to try to monetize all of our hobbies can actually really hold us back from our dharma. So I remember when I was not sure what I wanted to do, every single thing I like remotely liked to do, I was like, okay, this is going to be the business around it. Like, oh, yeah. I, I like to weave macrame. I guess I'm going to start an Etsy shop. Oh, I, I like skincare. I should just go into skincare. And it's like, you can like something and it not want to be the thing that you share. So your dharma is what you want to share with others. So for example, I love yoga and I thought the next phase was me to do yoga teacher training because I don't know, it made sense. And at that time I, I wasn't able to afford the yoga teacher training, but I was like, oh, like I, I, I know I like yoga. So I meant to be a yoga teacher, but truthfully I could never memorize those sequence. I don't like touching sweaty people. Like I would just be the shittiest yoga teacher, you know, but I love still practicing it for myself. It's not the thing that I want to share. So it's important for us to recognize that. And it's also really natural to try. I think again, you know, that feeling of confusion is, I don't even believe confusion really exists. I think it's the process of evaluating our own truth. So it's very natural to say, Hey, I like weaving macrame. Could this be something that I sell on Etsy? But then being truthful for myself, is this coming out of fear? Is it coming out of scarcity? Is it coming out of shit? I need to jump ship. And oftentimes we recreate the very thing that we are leaving in what we believe is our Dharma. So we're like, I want freedom to take care of my kids. And then we like create an experience for ourselves that we still don't have that because we're, mm -hmm. we haven't healed those limiting beliefs and those blocks. So let yourself enjoy things. And your dharma can actually show up in the integration of the things that actually have nothing to do with what you are sharing. So for example, you know, what I'm doing for my career is I write books and podcasts and I educate people on Vedic wisdom, but I love to dance mm -hmm. and I don't want to be a dance teacher. I don't want to be a dance performer at all, but me expressing and showing that side of myself allows people to see more like glimpses of me and I become a more whole person and, you know, some might resonate with it. Some might not. So even though it's not what I do for my career, it still is a part of my Dharma because it's a part of me. Right. Um, and you, you told a story to me about, I think it was, um, a friend of yours, like an older gentleman who found pottery in his later age. Mm -hmm. And I love that story. Can you, um, share that one with us? Yeah. So these are the the three paths to your dharma. I love a good framework. I'm Capricorn, so there's <laughs> books full of frameworks, but there are three paths to get to your dharma now. So the first one is the leap. So that's kind of what we were talking about, like the celebration of quit your job, risk everything and make it. Now the leap can really work for people. Like if you are an all or nothing person, making the leap might be the best choice for you. If you are in a job that is just mentally damaging for you right now. Making the leap might be the best for you. If you know exactly what it is you want to do, you might even have your website up, but you're afraid of doing it. The leap might be the best for you. So, you know, for example, a question that I ask people is if you were to write a book, would you a kind of lock yourself in your room and just like go in and write that book? Would you, or B, every single day, wake up an hour early in the morning and write that book or every weekend for four hours, you write that book. Or would you see kind of let the inspiration hit? Don't really set anything up. Just see how it flows. So what is it like for you, Lindsay? I'm a B. Um, because 
ideally I'm like, oh, I would love to like go to a cabin and write this book, but I would not. I would get to the cabin and I would have a million other things that I wanted to do besides write the book. So what I do is I get up an hour early most days. You know, today I I didn't because I wanted to wake up and meditate and mentally prepare for this podcast um, because we're you know, we're recording it early, but most days I will get up and I'll do a quick meditation and then I'll work on my book for an hour before I have to clock into work. And then on weekends, I block out like just about, yeah, four hours, uh, either Saturday or Sunday where I don't make plans with anyone. And I know I'm just going to work on my book. Love that. So that's a perfect example of the transition. So the transition is like the slow fade away into your dharma. It is to, you know, engage with it, learn about it. You know, I think this is really helpful for people too, who are not quite sure, like what they're really interested in to dabble around with classes, workshops, um, you know, maybe you get a side job or an internship doing that thing. Just like really engage yourself. Maybe you want to start a podcast I wouldn't recommend just quitting your job and starting a podcast and hoping you're going to be able to monetize it immediately. You know, (laughs) I would start to, you know, transition into it, start to record more episodes, grow your audience, maybe get some sponsors. So you're not also trying to be inauthentic and trying to monetize something too early on, which, you know, sometimes that happens as well. So the transition is recommended if you're someone who doesn't like to be in a really risky situation. If you are someone that might actually get really stressed out by like, okay, if you don't make it, you're going to end up homeless, you know, (laughs) whereas some other people that actually puts fire under their ass and gets them going. If you have a family that you need to provide for, it's not feasible for you to risk everything on the line. If you're Mm -hmm. maybe at a job that you enjoy it, or maybe it's neutral for you, but it still gives you the time or energetic space to be able to focus on other things. That could be also a great option for you. Or if you're going into something really creative, that may take a long time to become something that's your, you know, full time. If you do need this thing to you pay for your bills, a lot of creative work takes a longer time with that. So the transition would be best for you. Now, C, which is the accidental Dharma is the kind of waiting when inspiration hits and going with the flow. And the story that you mentioned was my friend's uncle was an engineer and he worked as an engineer his whole life. He went to engineer school. He was in his mid fifties and the HR um, team on his, in the company that he worked at said, everyone needs to sign up for an extracurricular. So he just looks at them and he randomly um, chooses <laughs> pottery. He's like, well, okay, I'll just do that. Like he kind of just wanted to get it over with. So he goes to the pottery wheel and he feels his hand on that wheel and he feels the texture of the mud moving between his fingertips. And he's like, I love doing this. I need to do this every day. So every single day during his lunch break, he's showing up at that pottery wheel and then he's staying after. And then he starts making things for the other people in the office. And now he is a full-time potter. That is what this he is does. like Seth Rogen, right? It's Seth Rogen. <laughs> did, did he change his careers later in life? I mean, check he... out his Instagram. It's all pottery all the time. Oh like a little God. bit of weed, but mostly pottery. That yes. is pottery just has a way with people. She's like, you're in, you're in. <laughs> but yeah. that's what he does. He makes bowls, plates, all sorts of things, which is pretty rare in today's world to just be a full-time potter. So the first half of his life was about being an engineer and the second half is now about being a potter. So that is a really great example of an accidental dharma. Now he could have just as easily have said, oh my God, I love doing pottery and too bad I don't have time for it because I'm an engineer. Hmm, Mm -hmm. Would have been nice to do more often and gone on with his normal life. And this whole iteration of who he was would not have been able to blossom. So I believe we all have elements of all three. We Mm -hmm. all have accidental dharmas knocking on our doors 
things that we enjoy doing that maybe we're not giving ourselves permission to fully dive into. We all have elements of transition, of needing to prepare ourselves, learn about things, not be hasty, really be the student. And we all have to take the leap at some point, whether it is a 30-foot leap or a three-foot leap. There's always going to be elements of all three. And in different phases of your Dharma too, it may be different. So for example, maybe the first part of it was you're working this job that you totally hate and you take a leap into getting a different job that is more in alignment with your gifts. So there was a leap there. Now, maybe you're transitioning of doing your meditation teacher training and learning more about meditation. And then maybe you try breath work and that becomes the accidental <laughs> thing. So there's really layers again of all of these happening. And what if you feel like two dharmas kind of pulling you at the same time? I mean, so just an example from my own life, my dharma has very clearly always been writing stuff, writing things. Um, like right now, I've had this book that I know has to come out. I've been thinking about it for years. You know, finally, the steps are, are it's falling into place. I, you know, I also like dabble in screenwriting and there's a million things in this world that I want to write someday. But then also like a couple years ago, I just decided, oh, maybe I can do like a side job working for Home Polish, which is like this app website where people, you're a de basically a designer. So someone would go on the app on Home Polish and be like, I need someone to, it's either like create a gallery wall, like something small or like redecorate my whole house. And I've always been really into that. And so I was like, all right, how do you get into Home Polish? Well, you have to learn Google SketchUp, so which is like AutoCAD. So I started teaching myself Google SketchUp and then life happens. I ended up getting this full-time job working at Yoga Journal. I stopped doing that. But now, you know, I bought my second house. I'm doing all of this home renovation completely by myself. And it's, I always wonder, because I feel like, oh, I'm so called to do this, but is it just this thing that I love to do on the side? Like, I'm not super interested in making it my career. But I also try, we were talking about on the weekends where I'm like, okay, I need to write four hours on my book. But then I'm also like, I really want to work on my house too. And I've been trying to give myself the space to be like, well, this is something that's important to you too. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I love that because I so relate. So they're the type of people who are more vata. This is like what you're, what you and I definitely are of like, we're very multi-passionate. We have all mm -hmm. of these different ways that it can express. So let's say your overall dharma is to, you know, tell stories or to help people see the world in a different way. Like your dharma would be more like this, like mission statement that can combine everything. And I'm sure you can put it into much better words than I can, but let's say it's something like that. And now really looking at what are the different services under this mission statement. So it's, you know, writing your book, writing your screenplay, working at yoga journal, doing this podcast. But now there's this other thing too, of like the decoration and the design, which, you know, isn't typically, I wouldn't call that a telling story. It's like this mm -hmm. other, it's this other modality here. So I would, first of all, I would sit with where do you, if you had one year to live, Mm -hmm. what would be the most important for you? Would you mm -hmm. be like, I wish I spent more time on my book. I wish I spent more time mm -hmm. on my screenplay, or I, I wish I tried doing more home renovation stuff. So what would that be for you? Definitely my book at this point, because it's one of those things that I feel like it just needs to be out there. Like I know that it's going to help so many women and who are going to realize so many things about, you know, their own childhood and things that were kind of messed up and kind of have affected their adulthood and you have to kind of face that stuff to recognize it, to heal from it. 
and get empowered from it. And there's a lot of things that women go through that we just accept. We don't think is wrong because we're kids and that's just the way. That's the way our parents teach it. That's the way we see it in the media. That's the way we hear it in the music that we listen to. And so, um, yeah, I just, I think it would be the book because that's the thing that I think really um, at this moment in time needs to get out there. Mm, I love that. And yeah, that question for me was also really helpful. If I had one year left to live, what would I want to focus on? And for me too, it was my book because the same exact feeling of I want to birth it out. Mm -hmm. So that became my, you know, highest priority in whatever free time I had was to write this book. Now, what naturally happens is you birth it out into the world and then that next, you know, iteration of your dharma comes through. So for you, it may be now I really want to do the screenplay and that's feeling really exciting for you. And maybe you ride this like writing wave and then you move into expressing or storytelling through a nonverbal way, which is through the home, et cetera. Or mm. maybe right after the book, it goes into this home stuff. So I feel like sometimes we have these like, little like pockets of like what is to come. We can have these insights over like where my Dharma is going to be at five years from now, 10 years from now. So it's to, you know, keep it in your pocket and know it's coming while focusing on what needs to birth. I think what happens is we dilute our energy by trying to birth all of these different things at once. And it's like, you know, being pregnant with all these different babies of different ages, right? Like your book may be like, almost ready to birth. Like you just got to push, like you just got to bring it out there. And then that screenplay may be at like the two month phase. And then this like not even quite manifested yet idea of like the third kid is the, is the home stuff. So I would push out that book, let whatever else needs to come. And I think it's also that, that trusting that there will always be enough time. I think that we try to hold mm. on and feel like we don't have enough time. So we need to do it all now. And then it dilutes the energy and we're not able to give it our all. And I also think too, what happens is when we are especially in one element of our Dharma, like writing words, you're, you're, soul naturally wants to express itself in different ways. Like for example, in nonverbal ways, I feel the same way too. Cause I'm also writing and speaking that for me, it's like movement and dance. And like, part of me is like, I wonder what a world would look like if we just didn't talk. We just like danced our emotions. Cause it's like <laughs> the polar opposite of kind of what I'm doing. So I think mm -hmm. for you, it's like, that's also a wonderful like hobby to have and nurture yourself when you're just like, I'm so done with words of like yeah. being in your Pinterest boards and the colors yeah. and the textures and all of that until you feel at this place of like, I've done what I needed to do with these projects that are like, yeah. you know, sitting on the edge and now I can fully divulge my, so you kind of have a, a good 10 year plan going on. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's also really therapeutic to like use my hands. Like I remember during like right right leading up to the election there's like all of this election dread and I it was at, after eight o'clock at night and I was like I'm gonna start this project that I've been thinking about where I like sanded this whole bathroom vanity down to like the fresh wood and put in all this new hardware and I finished at like midnight but it was just like I had to do something that didn't that didn't involve like my thinking brain in the same way that I have to use it for work and for analyzing and worrying about the country and the world. And so I think that's kind of like what you're saying with dance, where it's like, if you can, sometimes you need to express yourself or your anxieties or whatever's coming up for you in another way. And, and that's a physical way. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, like, for example, we know that now that's totally related to your Dharma because here you are exhausted at the end of the day and you wanted to like sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I could never, but it's like, you. that's how you know that shit's your Dharma. <laughs> that's a very good point. And so I, and I think about it too, because my grandfather was an architect and he died when I was 19. And so I didn't really know that much of that side of him. I didn't know like what kind of um, architects inspired him. And, you know, I discovered that part of myself after he passed away. And my mom was like, girl, you think your grandpa's not with you? Like all these books that you're reading, all of the, all of the designs that you like, like that is so your grandpa. Um, and I, I that. Yeah. So how do our ancestors relate to our soul's dharma? Mm, it's, it's such a beautiful time because I feel like there's such an ancestral remembering going on right now mm-hmm. of people realizing both ancestral traumas and bondage as well as ancestral gifts and, and really both come into play. So we lived in our grandmother's wombs, you know, as females and our, our children will have lived in our mother's wombs. So we really are very connected to not only our mothers, but the generations before us and before us and before us. And there's an entire field of science called epigenetics that really looks into how even traumas that have happened in certain mm-hmm. generations can actually alter the DNA yeah. and, and continue our behavioral patterns. So there's so much science and research on this and how it can relate to our dharma is I find that sometimes like unfinished business can really show up for us of our ancestor. It could be a grandparent or even before that really wanting to do something and like finishing that, that project Mm -hmm. or that expression can really come through us as well as different skills that they naturally had. So maybe it's like your grandfather's way of like seeing things and be able to figure out what, what needs to go where He's done so much work on that, that you kind of were born with that skill set already that you're starting at this different place than if you were maybe like the first person ever in your ancestry to do so. So it doesn't necessarily mean everything that you were good at. It's because your ancestor was good at it, Mm -hmm. but it can mean that this is something that epigenetically was altered in your DNA. For example, that's why we see oftentimes like midwives, doulas, it's a it's a lineage thing. Yeah. It continues in the lineage or astrologers, Ayurvedic healers. It's such a lineage thing because also historically, you kind of had to do what your family did. Like last yeah. names were an indicator of we are blacksmiths or we are healers or we are et cetera. So it was so many hundreds of years of your entire lineage doing the same thing, the same thing. How can we say that that's not going to make any difference in your interests or your skills? set. Now you may be the first person also breaking away from that too. You know, like my ancestors all were in child marriages and served their husbands their entire lives. So for me, it could have been very easy for me to go into that because it was what I have been conditioned to do even in this lifetime. So I had to do probably extra work than the average person on finding myself, finding autonomy, finding sovereignty, setting boundaries, because that has never been done by any females in my lineage. However, my gifts for Ayurveda healing, all of that also comes from my lineage as well. Right. We'll be right back with more from The Yoga Show. So one thing that you touched upon in the book was how searching for your purpose can feel like a privilege to many of our parents who just did their best to survive. And it got me thinking about, you know, there's still a lot of people out there right now who are just doing their best to survive. So 
what advice do you have for them? Mm, it is, you know, it is so natural for us to just want to take care of ourselves and our children and to think that it's not for me to live my purpose. I need to just do what I need to do to meet ends meet. And, you know, my own parents, that was their experience of my migrating to this country and starting from the bottom. And, you know, my mother was a refugee and my dad was an immigrant. So really trying to just make it in America. And that was really, um, their greatest purpose that they could think of, you know, but that doesn't mean that that was their Dharma. I think it was part of their Dharma to make it in a new place and, and give me the opportunity to be born here. And that is a privilege for me to be born here. However, they also have gifts and they also have curiosities and they're also deserving of a life that they enjoy. So, just because you may have been born in a background that survival was on the forefront of your mind does not mean that you are not deserving of a dharma or that dharma is reserved for privileged people. The very fact that you're listening to this podcast shows that your soul is like, hello, we have a purpose here to share and you're really diving deep into it. So I understand that feeling of, well, I can't take that leap. And that's why I speak about the transition or even the accidental dharmas knocking on your door. You know, maybe you, even if you continue exactly where you are at the job that you're at right now, what are some things that you could remember to do that were fun for you as a kid? Like for me, it was getting a new art project, like getting that box and Mm -hmm. I could make like stained glass or like this or that, like that was like the most fun (laughs) thing ever. So for me in this quarantine, I realized I need to just do more art stuff. I did some acrylic pouring. I'm weaving some macrame now just for fun, you know? So give yourself that permission to do something that you love to do as a kid. Was it, you know, playing sports? Maybe you join like, I don't know, like a not right now, but like a soccer league or something, or, you know, you play, you, you play a sport racquetball on your wall or something just to bring that energy into your life. Or maybe it was taking care of animals. Maybe you, you have a little pet that you're taking care of, but bringing back those things that you love to do as a kid, it then makes us feel good. It makes us Mm -hmm. feel inspired and impassioned. And from that place, we're thinking from that place. Our vibration is from that place that the, the, the next step will naturally unfold. So I think sometimes we feel like I have to see the entire, and especially if you come from an immigrant background, et cetera, it could feel like I need to know all of the steps. Otherwise I'm not going to do it because it's going to be too risky. And Mm -hmm. the thing is your Dharma doesn't work. It's like you have this flashlight, but it's like an entire highway. So you can only see the next couple of steps ahead. So just trust if I can just do one thing for myself that just feels good, that I like doing, maybe it's just, I play the piano or I, 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 sketch, whatever else it is, Mm -hmm. you're going to get the energy and the direction of where it's meant to take you next. And we hear this, you know, terminology of like raising your vibration a lot or like becoming a better vibrational match for the things you're trying to call in. I think that's one of the ways because it often seems so like esoteric, but this is like a concrete way where you can be like, yeah, I think like you can raise your vibration by if doing coloring book or like doing those things that you like to do when you were a child. I think that's a good, good way. Totally. And when people say like, raise your vibration, like to me, what it means is just feeling better. Like just Mm -hmm. noticing how you feel when you're like, you know, done with a stressful situation is like your energy is probably feeling really condensed, like Mm -hmm. sluggish, contracted. 
And then when you like get off a phone call with a friend or you go on a walk, you just feel more space. There's like literally more space between your cells. There's more energy moving through your body. There's more breath. There's more life force. So this is changing your vibration. You can just call it being in a better mood. It's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now you talked about you and I being similar and like being that vata and like fiery. And so how do our doshas relate to our dharma? Yeah, so... The word dosha means energy in Ayurveda, and Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system and the sister science of yoga based on the mind-body connection. So these three energy types or these archetypes, you know, can express in so many different ways. And, you know, we've done an episode on that and they can dive more into in my books and resources on yoga journal, but I love to relate it to our purposes, to our dharmas. And really when I dive deep into Ayurveda, I realize that that's what it's for. You know, it's like, I think people think, oh, the goal is to have perfect digestion or really clear skin or like, you know, whatever else it is. And, you know, it's important for you to not have anxiety or have good digestion, but the reason for it is so you can blossom as your highest self, as your fullest expression and really live out your dharma. So the way that the doshas relate is the vata is the air energy. So people who have a lot of air through them are going to be very creative, artistic. Like we were both like, we loved art projects. That's super mm-hmm. vata. Like mm-hmm. as a child, we were probably drawn to more imaginative things, things that we could like make up scenarios. So that's that air energy. It's ever changing. It's moving. It thinks outside the box. It's big picture. So allow yourself to be like that. I think sometimes society is like, if you don't have this one thing that you're so passionate about and devote the rest of your life to, then you don't have a purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Vata may, you know, be a graphic designer and then an interior designer and then a florist and then a wedding planner and then a tarot designer and this and that. But it's actually all really relating to their Dharma. You know, maybe their Dharma is to bring beauty to this world or to connect women to their bodies, etc. So the Vata is going to move and flow. and It's going to have many different expressions of it. Mm-hmm. So the pitta is the fire energy. Now, these are people who, you know, and we can be a combination as well, which I'll share about, but pure pitta energy is, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it and nothing is going to stop me. So that is like that. I'm definitely like straddling those two. Yeah. So that's (laughs) that. And and sometimes you just step more into the pitta energy. Sometimes you're more in the vata and there's stages of it related to your dharma as well. But that pitta energy is when you're just like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to devote all of myself to it. It can even be like this obsessive thing, but you're just so passionate about it. So these are often people who are very pitta will have that like one idea and that's what they do in their lives. Sarah Blakely, Spinks, that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. Marie Forleo, like pitta. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful. And a lot of people need to have that continual fire towards their dharma because it's a very big project that has many, many different layers to it that they need to give their all to it, especially if they're in leadership managerial positions. That tends to be something that really requires a lot of pitta and they naturally have that. Now the shadow side, you know, the, the shadow side for the vata is starting a lot of projects and not finishing them and then feeling mm-hmm. confused and like, how come I don't have a dharma? But it's like, cause you're trying to do 30 things at once. <laughs> yeah. And then the pitta, the shadow side of it can be like putting all of their eggs in this one basket and then getting there and realizing that they're still not happy and they're still not fulfilled and, and letting go of all other areas of their lives, maybe their, their relationships, their friendships, their home, because they're so obsessed with this one thing. So they can really struggle with having like that work-life balance with grounding, just, you know, being a human as well. 
So for them, it's important to recognize that fire in themselves and bring it into balance with the other doshas, especially the kapha, which is the earth energy. Now, people who are very kapha are really just finding their dharmas more through their relationship. So maybe it's motherhood that like just being so close to another being and nurturing them and like your body giving them life. And Mm. that makes you care so much about the next generation. And, you know, you know that right now your purpose is to give your all to your children, but then maybe that blossoms into, you know, this baby formula that you came up with, or maybe it blossoms into a blog about mothering or, helping other moms go through things. I think that sometimes some women's dharmas genuinely are to be a mother. But the thing is when we don't find ourselves in other things, what happens is the kid turns 18 and we're like, wait, then what was the purpose of my whole life? Because I tied my purpose to this other person. So I wouldn't say being a mother is someone's only purpose, but motherhood could be the vehicle in which you find your purpose, you deepen your purpose. Yeah. Again, and it doesn't have to be a business by any means. It could just be a way that you relate and share with people. But I do think it's important because, you know, I see people often, you know, kick themselves of, oh, I'm just a mom. I must not have a purpose and Mm -hmm. feeling like that's not enough. And then I also see people like, you know, my own mother or the woman in my family, like, oh, well, I'm here to just raise kids. And then like, even if that child is like 50 years old, their whole identity (laughs) is tied to them being a mother because they haven't, you know, really had that opportunity to explore other sides of themselves. So kafas can really find it through relationships and not just through motherhood. It could be through being a friend, being a wife, a husband, a neighbor, a citizen. So they really care about how they're interacting with other people. And, um, you know, Oprah is a really strong example of this, of she really dives deep with people. She holds space. She listens. She has this nurturing energy to her that Mm -hmm. even when she's at the staple center with like hundreds of thousands of people around her, she is still sitting on a chair next to someone saying, honey, how are you feeling? And Mm -hmm. that is that kapha energy in her. So there are stages of all of these that I kind of break down related to the dharmas and you can be a combination of, of two or even three in different stages of your life. So if you're like Vata Pitta, which we definitely have, you're, your obstacle may be you have a lot of ideas and you you have this fire and you're like, I just don't know where to direct the fire. So it's finding that one thing and bringing your energy there. When you are Vata Kapha, the this obstacle may be not having enough fire. So I have all of these ideas and I really want to connect with people, but I don't know how to take this off the ground. So you're going to need to elevate your more Pitta energy. Mm-hmm. If you are Pitta Kapha, it may be you know, I really love relating to people and I have fire to do it, but I just don't know what to do. I'm struggling creatively. So you need to bring up the Vata energy. So I would look at where are you and what dosha is the lowest, what is lacking right now, and how can you bring more of that into your life? Yeah. Now, um, you have a, do you still have that quiz to mm-hmm. discover the, your the dosha, dosha Yeah, I do. It's right on my website, com. Okay. So if anyone's unsure and they want to learn more, go check that out. Yes, it's it's a good one to take, and um, and then I have a Dharma archetype quiz too, which relates the doshas to these Dharma archetypes that are further breaking down into roles like the teacher, the nurturer, the researcher, entertainer, activist, artist, etc., to help you see now knowing about these doshas, how can I really direct it towards something that is aligned with me? Yeah, well, being that it is COVID and we are all still stuck inside, we're you know it's promising that we have a vaccine coming, but. It, I think it's going to take a long time and not everyone's going to be able to get it right away. So what 
encouraging advice can we offer? You know, if your dharma is working with animals, say, and it's kind of hard for you to do that while you're stuck inside, what are some tips that you have for um, maybe like micro dosing? <laughs> I love that. I think what this year has really taught us is how creative we can be with our dharmas. You know, photographers doing FaceTime photo shoots or, mm. you know, people transitioning businesses like events that have always been in person to online. You know, my husband works in the music industry and they're setting up these VR like festivals now, or they're doing these live streams on Twitch where actually now so many more people have access to these concerts that they would have had otherwise. So I think the opportunity right now is to get creative on ways that we can express it. So let's say, you know, it's to take care of animals. Well, first of all, I think that there still are a lot of animals that are needing adoption, care, fostering, et cetera. So if you can't do that in a safe way, I think there still are opportunities to do that. But it could be using this time to research about the Amazon being burned and destroyed and Mm -hmm. how we can support that or what's happening right now with the law passing regarding the polar bears and the ice caps. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe like I think we have always been in this like society that is very like, oh, you love animals, be a vet. Oh, you love talking, like be a lawyer. You love this, be that. And I think this is really showing us that that Dharma can express in so many different ways and ways that they can really be sustainable too. Like I'm seeing, for example, I used to go to this um, ecstatic dance called Five Rhythms and it's this very healing and cathartic dance. And you know, the community was a bit older. So at first they were like, we can't do this online. Like this is not going to work on Zoom. And finally, after many months of realizing, okay, it's not going to open back up again, she switched to Zoom. There are more people dancing and they're having bigger breakthroughs than ever before doing this on Zoom. And she actually was really struggling financially before and is in a more abundant place than she's ever been before with doing this on Zoom. So it really has shown us that Sometimes it's our blocks of like, this is the way that things have been. If it can't be this way, it can't be, you know, so many universities are going like, maybe you can still become a vet, but you're doing it online. So I think the opportunity is to really be creative and letting what you wanted to do, maybe be accessible by more people by letting it be online. Like with uh, my community, Rose Gold Goddesses, you know, it was online, but we were doing a lot of in-person stuff before. Mm -hmm that now what we're doing is we're having people set themselves up in these groups of four people called Dharma circles. And they meet every two weeks on their own, a group of four people, and they talk about their dharmas and what's showing up for them. So it's actually giving them a more personal experience and interaction than they would have had otherwise at a big party. And at the end of all of our calls, we put them in breakout groups too. So they're put in with a couple new people each time can have these conversations. So I know in person is so like beautiful and there's really nothing like that experience, but there's also a lot of new experiences that we just haven't had yet. Absolutely. And like you said, the internet, we're so lucky that it can bridge so much space and time. And so we we do in a way, we might have less access. We might feel like we have less access, but in a lot of ways we have more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, for example, this could be the time that you finally like learn photography or learn that thing that you've wanted to do. Like I have been dancing more this year because before I thought, oh, to dance, I have to go to a dance class and I have to drive 45 minutes to get there and it's going to be a whole Mm -hmm. spiel. Whereas Mm -hmm. now I can in between a call, do a dance class online and be back on the call. Like it's actually amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Well, we're going to wrap up soon, uh, but I want to give you the opportunity. If you have a favorite passage or section from the book, if you want to read a little part of it. 
Oh. Oh, maybe you could read like one of the the rundowns for skimmers. I thought that was so funny. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we can pick one. Okay, maybe um, this one is about wanting to do it all. So that's kind of on topic. Okay. So at the end of each chapter, I have these things called a quick rundown for you skimmers because I noticed I would read a book and then get to the end of the chapter and like, what did I just read? And like not even remember. (laughs) So it really helped me to just like, you know, kind of go back. Okay, what were the key points I learned about? So I wanted to have that in the book for people. So it's like just sealing it all in and we can move on to the next chapter. So here's one of the quick rundown for you skimmers, which is actually at the end of this chapter, chapter eight, which is all about taking action, allowing us to find more clarity in what we want to do and moving past maybe feeling confused. So here we go. Yay. You're never going to be one hundo ready. You just have to figure out when you're ready. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's the exact one that I picked. Oh my God. (laughs) I opened it and it was like that. That's hilarious. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. You're never going to be one hundo ready. You just have to figure out when you're ready enough. You learn through the fear. Confused AF, perfect. Confusion is the process of evaluating your truth, aka you're on the right track. Go on an advice detox and use this time to ask your highest self what's up. Your intuition may feel like a pen pal you haven't written back to in a while, but trust me, she's excited to fill you in. You don't have to know where to start. Just start and that will show you where to go next. The universe responds with corrective action. You learn through the feedback. So get going, goddess. The only gatekeeper to your dharma is you. The only way through confusion is action. Tapping, meditating, and mindset shifts will illuminate the path so you won't keep driving around in circles. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us always. Yeah. And so Sahara has a new Ayurvedic column with Yoga Journal, which will be appearing on yogajournal.com and also in the magazine. The first print installment will be in the March issue. Make sure you check that out and check out our website for more brilliance from Sahara. Thank you so much for having me today, Lindsay. Thank you. Where can the listeners find more from you? So they can get the book, Discover Your Dharma, wherever books are sold. And you can actually submit your receipt on my website and you'll be able to get bonuses, including my Discover Your Dharma meditation, embodiment practice, and tapping. So that's over at IamSahararose.com slash Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. And you'll also find links for my Dharma archetype quiz and all of that on my website as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening and thanks again to Sahara for being our first repeat guest. If you found Sahara's words inspirational, pick up her book, Discover Your Dharma, from your local independent bookstore and be sure to check out her new column in the upcoming issue of Yoga Journal. You can also hear more from her on her Highest Self podcast. If you like our show, tell your friends. Give us a rate and review on iTunes and message me at lins.tucker on Instagram to tell me who you'd like to hear on the show next. Follow Yoga Journal on social media for more eye-opening, mind-expanding, and heart-filling content. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rainbow Calrissian. Theme music by Amory Sievertson. More from her at Amory Music on Instagram. Until next time, for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. For weekly yoga, meditation, and breathing exercises from some of the world's best teachers, check out our sister podcast, 
the practice at yogajournal.com slash podcasts.